You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. If you want to have guarantees, you have to buy a washing machine. Either we win or we learn, and today we learned. Abdacha, Austin, Sotaki Zabir. It's infield to Mane, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Pella. Onside, 1 0. Blue fast shot. Oh my word. He ran around a bit, but Bambi on ice. It was very, very embarrassing to watch. And now, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast and newsletter dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans and available right here on SouthamptonDelivery.com. My name is Matt Markson. I am the host of the show and no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thanks for making the show part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. And it's been a busy week uh, from the loss to Bournemouth to the midweek win over Portsmouth to uh, the trip to London uh, to the Tottenham Hotspur sitting for the first time officially uh, for the first team. Um, there's been a lot going on at Saints. There's a lot to talk about. And joining me this week to do all of that uh, is Luke Millard. And Luke is uh, a patron of the show. He is a constant away fan, uh, someone that I've been in communication with now for some time. And it was a pleasure to be able to just chat with him, to catch up with him, to get to know him a little bit better and uh, talk about everything that's going on. Well, obviously, we won't spend too much time on the Bournemouth match. We've had an episode since then. Um, but Portsmouth and Tottenham, uh, those were two matches that Luke was at. So we get his uh, kind of experience. Uh, you go from one of the oldest stadiums that we will play at all season to one of the newest. And um, it, it was just great to be able to to catch up with him a little bit. Um, but there's a lot to discuss um, from selection dilemmas to performances to uh, you know getting drawn against City after you beat Portsmouth. Uh, all kinds of stuff like that. But uh, we'll, we'll march through that. Uh, hopefully we'll provide some perspective on, on how the team is going on, on some things that we are worried about. Um, and yeah, hopefully it all kind of makes a little bit more sense by the end of it. And I will say that although uh, Saints did play against 10 men for much of the time, they were unable to take any points away from Tottenham, obviously. So uh, that's a bit disappointing. Uh, we made a bit of a mess of it, maybe uh, unable to break a very organized Spurs team down. But I also made a bit of a mess of the questions that some of you sent in. So uh, hopefully they make sense. But if not, that's on me. I apologize. But anyway, special thanks to Luke once again for coming on the show. And a special thanks to all of the rest of the patrons over at patreon.com forward slash SFC delivery. Last week, all the patrons got one extra podcast episode uh, and all the $5 patrons got two extra podcast episodes uh, around the Portsmouth match. So uh, thank you for that. And thank you to uh, Dan James for coming on the show and uh, helping me out with that uh, second $5 a month Patreon podcast episode. Uh, looking back and recapping Portsmouth in detail from uh, the train onward. Uh, you'll get a little bit of that with Luke. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit, but obviously uh, we have more to talk about than just the train ride. So uh, anyway, uh, here's my conversation uh, with Luke Millard. If you want to get in touch with Luke, you can do that. He's on Instagram at Millard505. Uh, and a special thanks to him again. And here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Luke Millard. He is on Instagram at Millard505. Uh, Luke, your patron of the show, uh, a longtime Saints supporter, 
and uh, just uh, we spent the last hour kind of uh, getting to know one another and just ha- kind of hanging out. So uh, how are you? Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Great to, great to be talking to you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show and and just, you know, kind of sitting and, and chatting with me and uh, an interesting week, I guess. And if you just look at the results uh, and you didn't know anything about Saints, you say, oh, they lost twice in the last in the span of the last you know week or so. And they had one victory. But I guess, you know, I guess it's not that great of a week. But I think considering maybe uh, the team we beat midweek, uh, maybe it's all OK. Yeah. Yeah. Um, someone that says next to me, it's that Mary's actually asked me before the Bournemouth game, would you rather take a win against Pompey or, or a win against Bournemouth? And I think every every Saints fan so Saints fan answers with the with the Portsmouth victory. It'd be nice to have got something yes um, against Tottenham, but um, that that victory will stick in the mind of, of everyone for a long time. Absolutely, and yeah, and I I mean that midweek match uh, we we've talked about it a little bit. It was a bit of a pain to be able to see for me, but it nothing. I don't think I don't think anything beats that. It, it was a it was emphatic. Uh, other than the first twenty minutes, I would say, um, and I thought we did a lot of good things during that game. Um, Maybe not all of them carried over to yesterday, but I think there are other things going on. We'll talk about all of it, but I don't. Uh, I, we don't need to. We don't need to taint the uh, the Portsmouth uh, win with uh, what happened yesterday. I think we'll keep them separate, just at least in my mind. That way, uh, you know, we can enjoy them uh, for for what it for what it was. Um, but before we do that, um, you've been a Saints fan for some time. Um, but like, how did you get started with 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 supporting Saints? Um, so it's kind of a friend of the friend thing. So I, I grew up in a, a place where there weren't many local football teams. We had one local non-league team that I tried to see um, as best I could. But the local league team to me, I suppose, was Swindon, um, a fairly small league team. Um, but I never felt a connection to them. They were quite far away. Um, and I, uh, a friend of a friend took me to, to see Southampton. So I um, went back to see my first game in, when we were in League One for the first season. Um, went to a handful of matches and, and as soon as I started going, I knew next season I'll get a season ticket. So um, it's been it's been 10 great years as a season ticket holder. Um, lots of great memories along the way. Um, I was blessed really with my first two seasons as jumping on the pitch at the full time of, of both of the last games of the season for back-to-back promotions, um, great managers, great players, um, trips to Europe, um, trips to cup finals. So um yeah, I've had a couple of a couple of years now of, of a bit a bit of hardship, but but as a <laughs> as a Premier League team, you still you still take the the um the big teams coming down and going going to lovely new stadiums and, and what have you. So yeah, it's been a it's been a great ten years. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think if if that doesn't seal it, those first couple of seasons jumping on the the pitch at full time, you know, celebrating promotion and everything else, like if that doesn't do it, then I don't know what you're in it for, you know. Like so, it, that's nice that you yeah. were able to experience that. Um, Wish you could have been able to experience it at the end of the EFL Cup final, but we'll we'll get to that. Um, did yeah. did you grow up kind of watching a lot of sport at home or or anything like that, or was it was it kind of the the friend of a friend thing that did, that was your kind of your first introduction to to football? Yeah, so I've I've always I've always loved sport. Um, I, I play a lot of tennis and and football. Um, but growing up with an older brother who was about eight years older than me, I kind of fell into the into the tactic of doing what your older brother does because he's cool. Sure. Um, so, and I hate to say he was a, a Man United fan, um, which is devastating, I know. Um, <laughs> so I, I followed his footsteps for a, for a number of years, being a, a younger brother of a quite a young age. And when I realized I could rebel, I mean, it was 2005, I was eight, and um, Man were playing Arsenal in the FA Cup final. Um, so I decided that's the time I could change my allegiance, and I changed to Arsenal because I wanted to to rid of um, rid my brother's allegiances from myself. 
Um, so I did I did follow Arsenal for a long time. I've got a very a couple of strange retro away shirts. I like I like away shirts because they're always a lot different to the home shirts. And I remember going to the stadium tour at Arsenal and and getting a, a shirt with the name on the back of the next player who was meant to be the next best thing, and who was Maro Shamak. Oh yeah. Um, let's have a tumbleweed go through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't do well. Went to Palace. Didn't do well there. And and, and who knows where he is now. So um. But I was glad I was taking the Saints in the end. Supporting your, your team who are local to you and who you're able to go and see and support is a thing I, I truly believe in. Growing up with lots of Liverpool and Man United fans around, so Hampton was the nearest team to me, and and that link in was was I kind of maybe inevitable. It would have happened without the friend of a friend. But um, so yeah, so I've always been a, a big fan of football. Yeah, my my son is an Arsenal fan, and we were supposed to be able to see Southampton play Arsenal when we were over there uh, previously. And because I was really rooting for Arsenal to get knocked out of the Europa League so the games would stay on a Saturday, but they were in the Europa League. They got moved to a Sunday. We flew out on Sunday. We couldn't make the match. So I felt uh, slightly, uh, I felt bad for him. I really want to see Southampton, obviously, but it felt bad for him. He didn't get to go to the Emirates, but we did. Uh, apparently, they're awake. If you do, if you, I don't know if you can hear them. Um, the kids are waking up, but <laughs> can you hear that? Uh, not not at the moment, no. They're doing, they're doing well, not too loud at the moment. Somebody's blowing their nose, and it's... <laughs> no, yeah, I got that. <laughs> Poppy. I'm I'm recording, babe. Okay, love you. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, f- I felt kind of bad for him to, to not be able to go, but uh, made it up for him, took him to uh, Bayern Munich Arsenal earlier this, this summer, or previously during the summer, so uh, I think he's he enjoyed that, so... Anyway, uh, it's okay. It's we all have our, our Arsenal supporting and Man United supporting friends, and that's just that's that's fine. Um, I mean, so throughout that time, obviously, you have the the kind of end of season, kind of jumping on the pitch stuff. You have, uh, you know, several kind of big matches in there. At least the things that stick out to me. But like, what are some of the? You, know, you don't have to share them all, but like, you have a couple of fond memories that kind of stick out in terms of your time over uh, supporting Saints, both home and away. Yeah, so um, so I said I've had the season ticket for ten years, but I try and go to around about um eight away games a season, um, and it and it worked out well. I started to go to the majority of them when we got into Europe, um, and I'd never been abroad before. So when we got drawn in the Europa League, it was quite a big thing. Who are we going to get? Where where might we go? Um, so the one we picked, which most people picked, was there was Milan, the um the San Siro. It was a for the football in terms wasn't wasn't the greatest of spectacles, but to go to go abroad for the first time. And uh, to see the team play in the Europa League group stages, I don't know if the next time it will happen. Hopefully, not too far away. Um, but that's definitely one of the the big things that sticks in the memory. Um, next to that, I'd have to say, as I said before, growing up with lots of Liverpool fans around me, going to Anfield and being at, in that away end for the for the semi final win um, is definitely maybe maybe just beats it purely for Liverpool. Such a hard team to play. And having so many Liverpool fans around you it always helps if you've got someone to have ragging rights over. So um went mad when that Sims to long moment happened. And I'm sure people look back at it with goosebumps, I certainly do. Yeah, that that's uh I mean I remember where I was for that match. Um and yeah, there's no I remember when that goal went in, it was just like you could you could feel it coming and then it's Hoiberg is screaming for the ball on the left and uh, sometimes you go like, don't pass it to long, but then you do. And then he does it. And uh, that was, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I get it. I, that, and yes, there are a lot of Liverpool fans and it's really nice to be able to, to, to hang out <laughs> over them, at least for a, a period of time. Cause if they get too cocky, you just go, well, how about that? You know, 
about yeah, that final. Yeah. But now that they've won the uh, Champions League, maybe we can't <laughs> we can't say too much. But uh, we still have that day. So, um, I mean, any, any other any anything else, or is that is that kind of are those kind of the places that, that that do it for you? Um. So for so for me, I think uh, the Swansea away game. I was, I was lucky to go to that one as well. It actually fell um on the night before my birthday. That game. So um, I, I went hoping it would be a nice early birthday present from the Saints. And because it was Swansea in an evening match uh, midweek, I ended up being in the car on the way back from the match and, and having my birthday on the way back. Um, and I love Gabby Adini. I felt so sorry for him for what happened in the cup final. Everyone um, feels sorry for those goals not being, or being counted. Um, so for him to get that goal and sort of put his name in history for us, I mean, whether we would have set up or not, it was such a close call and that game did it for us. So... Yeah, so I love going to away games. It's my chance to go and see parts that you hadn't been to before and see new stadiums. And I always think the, the atmosphere is always better in the away end. So, and the atmosphere was certainly rocking that night after that Gapiotini goal. Sure, sure. And that's something we're going to have to come up and come to because there's been some controversy in, in the media, at least, from, from Pompey fans about, about the, the support or lack of it from, from Saints. And we'll, we'll talk about all of that because I think we have some, some bones to pick there um, with them and what, what's been said. And, um, yeah, I don't know. And I just wanted to take a second to thank you for, you're one of the patrons of the show and I just, I truly appreciate that. I think it's, it's, uh, anytime that little, I get that email that says you have a new patron. It's like, well, what, what mistakes have they made? Like what, where, what, what does their life look like that they're willing to do this? So I appreciate it, um, a lot. And it's been, it's been great to get to know you both in there and get your perspective on you know when you go to matches and things like that and just to be able to interact with you like this so uh thank you for that oh it's great i mean you don't always see the larger community of southampton you go every week and you see the people that's married supporting the club and i often get annoyed at them leaving their seats in the 85th minute just to beat traffic especially if it's such a great game and so there are people out there that are watching the whole match from all around the world and, and committing themselves to saints and supporting them it's it's good to see that it's a it's a, it's a real global thing I have I have been caught both uh, watching on my cell phone as I am at a stoplight and uh, having my headphone in and then like a, a a hoodie on at my daughter's games listening to Blackmore uh, call the game as I'm as I'm also yelling at the players to you know get their defensive sh- shape uh, back in back in order. So uh, I've I've gotten in trouble plenty of times uh, <laughs> trying to stay in touch with Saints. So it's uh it's it's all right. So. Um, I mean, you've, you've had quite a busy week, um, in terms of, of what's happened. And, uh, you know, we, we covered the Portsmouth match a little bit on, on the Patreon episode, but, uh, for, for the, for everybody else, I mean, you were there that, that night. Um, and, and I want to start kind of with the, just the, the idea, cause I don't think you would, you'd probably not been to Portsmouth or Fratton Park. I would, I would assume it's not a frequent place you visit, um, prior to this but uh had you been there before oh yeah funnily enough i actually have been so i'm um, a friend of mine supports gillingham um uh, league one side um he's he's moved to my local area and when we can we go to the away games of, of the teams that they play in and around the south england so um so we've been to a couple of grounds oxford swindon and they actually played ports within the jack of trade cup last season it was a really weird game there was only two thousand fans there and they do normally to, to their credit although i don't like saying anything in that sense um sell out their their games and but they, they're boycotting the Chaka Trade Cup. Um, so there was only 2,000 of, of their fans there, 40 Gillingham fans, um, which I must admit <laughs> was a bit disappointing. Um, but it was kind of nice to go in a sense of seeing Fratton Park um, in its entirety because we didn't see much of it 
um, from the outside at least on season night because of because of the way it, it was all worked out. So so yeah, I, I was uh, I think it was either last season or the season before I got to go and have a little look at Fratton Park. Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, I'm sure it was a, a lot different in terms of uh, showing up for for Gillingham versus showing up uh, on Tuesday. So. Uh, the travel down. I mean, I kind of just want to be walked through the 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 whole experience a little bit because from the outside, uh, you know, what what I know about Portsmouth and and kind of the the rumors that go around about uh, and the stories that go around about kind of the history between the two clubs and everything else. Like, it's it doesn't take a, a genius to figure out that this is this is a huge rivalry and that there are, there is some bad blood between the teams and the fans and everything else. But um, were you at all kind of looking at it with any sort of trepidation or were you kind of just like, no, this is going to be, it's, it's, it's any other away day or was it somewhere in between? Um, so you definitely look at it. If you obviously we've not playing for seven years, it's one of those times where it's, it's going to be a, a crazy game and, and you're sort of having the back of your mind about potential sort of um, things that could go wrong on your day. Um, but knowing how they policed it last time, um, although they weren't going to do the bubble bus system this time, you knew there'd be enough police there to make sure that everyone was able to enjoy a good game of football. Um, but yeah, it was that sense of, of not nervousness. There was a little bit there, not knowing what was going to happen um, on the night and, and what materialised. Um, they, I must admit, the police did a pretty good job. And, and I'm pleased to say, I don't think many people got hurt. I know the horse that was, was hit by the Portsmouth fan was all okay. It was announced on Facebook, if you saw that video. Yeah. Um, so so I think, um, yeah, the police did a good job, but I was a bit nervous before going into it, I must admit. And and for you to get there, because, I mean, I think they allowed, they didn't force everybody to come, kind of bubble bus style, but I think that I know there's a direct train uh, from Southampton Central into to, to Fratton, I think. And was that how you arrived or were you on that, that, that football specific train or, or were you, did you come by some other means? Yeah. So um, I initially was going to get a train from where I live in Winchester down to Fratton, a separate train. Um, but a friend of, a friend of mine persuaded me that if we were on a train with all the Southampton fans, it would be a bit more of an experience just being with Southampton fans on that um, sort of fan only train. So we, so we went down to Southampton um, and um, we went to get on the train and, and I mean, it started from walking towards the station um, the train was still, um, I think, 20 minutes um, until it was going to arrive. And you could hear the fans on the platform as we were approaching, just singing and having a great time. So, um, yeah, we got that we got that football special train. But I think um, anyone else who was on it will know what, what happened. There was a big eight coach train. I, I'd, I'd like to guess at maybe five, six hundred fans, maybe as a push. But it was a very full train. I had to stand. I couldn't get a seat. Um, planned to get to Fratton Park just under an hour before kickoff mm-hmm. and then ended up getting there um, just after kickoff. So it didn't exactly go to plan. No, no. And were you able to, did you get in the ground before before the first goal or were you one of the fans who got stuck outside? Yeah, so luckily um, we got on near the front of the train. So everyone who was at the front of the train pretty much got in, I want to say 15 minutes in uh, or so. Um, although there isn't a big screen in Fratton Park. So we weren't entirely sure exactly what the time was. Obviously, poor facilities there. Um, but no, so the big weight on the train itself, um, there were signalling problems. Uh, a couple of people commented the police tried to keep us back because they wanted to get everyone in the ground first. Um, but I must admit, I did look on the train website that night and there were a number of trains late into Pompey. I know there was a train from London from the, from the completely wrong direction. It was an hour late getting into Portsmouth that night. So there were big signalling problems, apparently. This is the reason we didn't get in on time. Um and I think for me, the experience really started 
getting off of that train and then getting up onto the streets of Portsmouth and being herded towards the the stadium. It did it did feel um, very spectacular. Um, having hundreds of police officers with riot batons out, riot gear on, horses. I mean, you name it, we're probably there. Um, and you get, but you do understand why why it's happened because of, of what people have done in the past. Sure. And, and and did you see or witness any of the any of those things? I heard potential there were some uh, a few scuffles, but for the most part, that the the fans were kept apart. And and uh, other than them abusing our players verbally, uh, it was all pretty pretty just normal stuff. Yeah, so I think because of the time we got down there, um, everyone was already in the stadium. So it was perfect for the police in a sense that it was like there'd be no scuffles for us because on the train because everyone was in the stadium. Um, and to be honest, even after the game, the way that, that they, they handled it, they surrounded us with, um, it was hundreds of police officers all in riot gear, um, and they drove vans back to back, bumper to bumper, um, in such a way that you couldn't get between the vans and, and you were being herded along in this group and all of the streets were blocked off. No one could get in towards the away fans. The away fans couldn't leave the group they were in. So there was really no way that any fans were going to interact. Um, and then even within the stadium, we had our own stand behind the goal. So we weren't even very close to the, to the ports of home supporters. So yeah, in, in that sense, there was no scuffles that I saw, um, but uh, potentially later on in the day with the earlier train with a smaller group of people that may have been. Sure, sure. Uh, and, I mean, I was just glad everybody got in and out I think relatively safely uh, other than the guy who punched the horse. I think he probably suffered uh, maybe the worst. The police did not seem to uh, hold back. I guess you could say they left it in on him a little bit, uh, but you know, you punch a horse, you probably deserve it. Um, yeah. I mean, big moments of the match. Uh, I mean, we won't, we don't need to necessarily, and I'll be honest, I'm 100% avoiding talking about Spurs. Um, but you know, big moments in that match. Uh, I would say early on, you missed the part where they were kind of on top a little bit. But as, I mean, as as Ing scores the first one, uh, I think from that point on, we really turned. And and I think I think the biggest thing for me is I expected Portsmouth just to to kick us up and down. And I was really happy when, um, you know, I was watching especially guys like Ward Prowse and Ings, who, you know have some history and have some knowledge of, of what it means versus some of the other guys. I mean, my, she has been around for a while. He definitely put himself about a bit, especially later on. But like, I was really happy to see Ings track back and, and uh, you know, slide tackle, whoever it was, uh, even though the ball was out of play. I appreciated that. I appreciated War Prowse using his body to push people off the ball. Um, I was really glad that we were like, no, we're going to impose ourselves on this match. And this is, this is how we're this is how it's going down. And their, and their players seem to like shy away from the occasion a little bit. Um, so for me, that was like the biggest, uh, and kind of, kind of the most exciting thing I would say, but, um, for you, I mean, maybe goals aside, what else stood out to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was sort of, um, surprised how well Pompey did in the game in terms of the chances they got. So I didn't see the first onslaught, but I did think at the time we, I were, our backs were to the wall in a sense that there was a couple of goal line clearances here and there. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I just, it's ple- pleasing to say that that we were clinical and we we did create a fair a number of chances, but I I, I wouldn't say um, I I don't want to use the words four nil flattered us. I think the quality of us shone through, um, and I think that's they did it all it did all over the park really. Sort of the full bats were great at getting four, but defending it was nice to see um, Bertie back in the back in the side on the left. It was a bit of a, an issue, contentious issue between fans at the moment. So it's on the left sided. 
left back was great and and yeah I agree with you having those players that had a connection Ings you know coming from from Winchester coming up through Southampton Prowse used to be a skater he's all right now you know it's great to see um see the players that I said are more familiar with the with the side and and, and with the fixture and we're probably better play to win the game yeah absolutely um overall I was I was pretty impressed with it and and there are, were going to be portions of the game where they were going to have uh shots and I'm just glad that I'm glad that we got four nil and not four one. Uh, as as I spoke with Dan James for the for the Patreon episode, and he was was very happy with uh, to to point that out. You know um, that that we were we made sure not to uh, you know just not to concede, and I think that I think that that was that was fine. So um, overall, pretty happy with 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 I think getting out of there and everything else. And and you said you know made it back relatively safely. Uh, the rain was coming down pretty good. I heard, and then um, unfortunately though, the next night we wind up with the draw. And uh, we, now we have City away. So that's uh, a very fun Carabao Cup run we've been on. And, uh, you know, I won't say we don't have a chance because that's not true, but that, that's almost a death blow there. And, and on the Patreon episode, even Dan James said, I'll take anybody but City. And yeah. uh, then, of course, we get City. So uh, I guess that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was funny. I was listening back to that episode just after the draw came out, the Patreon um, extra episode, and it was funny to hear that Dan's first first team he didn't want was City. And I think, to be honest, if you ask anyone that, that would probably be the case. You always look for the lower league sides. You call Chester knocks Spurs out. I think Crawley knocks Stoke out. And, and you kind of hope for those to keep your, your run going as best as you can. I think the big disappointment for us is the fact that we play them again in four days after this fixture schedule. So um, I feel more sorry for the fans that, that do every away game. And uh, uh, now we're probably not going to have as many people there as we would have if we weren't in Manchester at the Etihad twice within what is four or five days. So, um, yeah, who knows? I mean, if there's a cup run and they've got Champions League here and there, there's always a, a chance. But sure. I think people always comment City squads um, is is just so good. And, and um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we do do falter falter at that point. Yeah, well, I mean, people could just take a four or five day vacation. Right to Manchester, that's fine. I mean, yeah, probably not the not the time of year or or anything else that you want to spend four or five days in Manchester. But you know, yeah, this is it. I, I mean, I'm it's. I mean, I'm sure it's a lovely area, and there are, I'd rather go to the other sites in the north. I think you know, you've got some other nice places up there to see. But um, I'd be very surprised if they um, if many people you know, do both. So I think yeah, people will go to one or the other. I'm I'm debating now which one to go to. I'll probably be the Saturday game, hoping that resting players gives us a chance, maybe in the league where we, we need to pick up some points after the last couple of fixtures. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's a as good a transition as we will have. Um, obviously, you know, last week the loss to Bournemouth, and then coming off the midweek victory over over Portsmouth, um, I think people were were relatively optimistic and feeling pretty good about uh, the fact that we had scored some goals and everything else. Uh, you knew there were going to be at least a couple of changes. You knew Gunn was probably going to come back in. Um, the initial team sheet, I think, would have pleased almost everybody. Um, and, and I don't know how you felt about it when you saw it, but the original team sheet had Gunn, Cedric, Bednarak, Yoshida, Bertrand, Romeo, Hoiberg, Ward-Prowse, Buffal, Redmond, Ing. So like that's 4-3-3, basically. Uh, not unlike what we played at Portsmouth that looked to work pretty well for some of the players that were there. Uh, you have creativity, you have pace, you have kind of intelligence, uh, you have some steel in the middle, uh, you have a back line that I think a lot of us are happy with. And then it changed because uh, we don't know. Uh, Ralph Hostenhul says, uh, according to the Southern Daily Echo, that he doesn't know. Cedric came up and said, I just, I can't play. Um, and then there was the decision to to kind of make, 
to go from from playing basically a four three three to uh, to something else, and and Ralph puts it down to what Spurs did uh, in kind of this. They they thought they were going to play a different shape, and when he saw what Spurs were doing, having the opportunity to make that change because Cedric pulled out um, to to be able to push the fullbacks forward and and give and put them under pressure. I mean, but what did you make of that lineup once uh, Vestergaard basically came in for Cedric and and not Valerie? Um, so I agree with you in the sense of that first lineup. Just to dodge your question slightly, yeah, um, and it was gonna it was gonna please everyone. Um, everyone knows that I think Hassan who wants to play with four three three and to see Cedric and and Bednarak and then and then three centre and three attacking players going forward. Everyone was so glad to see that, and I must admit I don't under didn't understand really at the time Vestergaard coming in for Cedric when you had got Valerie on and, and you see how he wanted to set up. I think that, that sometimes it's good to set your own team up in without reference to the other team and playing how you want to play going forward. Um, but I do understand him looking at that side and you've got people like Kane, Son, you've got Ericsson. It's a very good side. And 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 knowing that they might come off the back of a defeat on Tuesday wanting to 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 really show the world what they can do, given Pochettino's under a little bit of pressure. I can maybe see why he chose Vestergaard, but, but personally, I think, I, I would go with what I think your opinion is and, and I would have played Valerie instead. The only thing I was thinking is if you, you've seen Valerie play in a back four and it hasn't always been great. Uh, as a wing back, I, I always thought he was, he was just fine. Um, he's had a couple of instances as a, as a, in, a, in a flat back four where he hasn't looked super comfortable. And I, I, I thought that was going to be the reason for the change, but uh, he puts it down to, to Tottenham's tactics. And, and, and maybe that's giving them too much respect given the kind of run of form they're on. But also if you look at the team sheet, you look at some of those names and you think like, those are all guys that can hurt you. And, and so to, 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 I guess, try to compensate for that, that's fine. But I don't think it necessarily worked. I think son had a lot of, uh, of chances where he was just kind of running free at our, at our back three. And you worry, um, and Bednarak did very well to frustrate him in the first half. And, um, but you know, you worry about him switching sides and running at Vestergaard and just going, you know, directly by him um, because the, of the pace there. And Vestergaard, I think, has, has gotten a lot of criticism partially, I think, because he's been, um, you know, just not had uh, cover in some instances where he just has been exposed by having, um, you know, not a natural kind of left wing back or left back next to him. And that I think that pace gets, gets exposed. But um, anyway, I mean, we go into the game and I guess for you, what's the... Uh, I guess in the away end, um, what was the what was the mood like when the lineup changed and and people are starting to look and try to figure out? Because I, I mean, my experience being at a game, uh, we had the team sheet kind of come out, but as you get into the ground, you know, social media and stuff isn't as fast and doesn't work as well as you would like, just simply because all the metal that's that's involved in the in the construction of these places. But um, you know, were fans generally kind of upset or were they feeling comfortable or confident or were they kind of arguing with one another or, or upset with Ralph or what was it like? Um, so I think it's been a, a weird week and a half in terms of, if you remove the bomb game in terms of selection. Um, so I think everyone was pleased to see that initial side. Um, and then we only heard the change from kickoff. So at that point, it was just sort of going into it, I suppose, just sort of home for the best and going forward. We've seen five at the back quite a bit with, Obviously, working as a as a wing back, but and although he's got great pace, he can't run at anyone, so you lose lose a bit of what Cedric and Valerie have on that side. But then you say maybe it's better um, choice in in a defensive mindset, bringing Vestergaard on instead of the Valerie change. Um, but I think at, at that point, seeing um, 
the front three of Buffal, Redmonds and, and Ings, we were all sort of fairly buoyant in, in hoping we could we could give them a, a good game going forward in the pressing and and it, and it worked out relatively well in that sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think up until the red card, uh, possession was was swung heavily in Tottenham's favor, but I wouldn't say that we were completely out of it or overrun or anything like that to begin with. Um, I mean, were you I mean, just, I guess, for the first half hour, were you, obviously they were goal up, but were you super worried about, about how things were going or did you feel that we were we were playing decently? Um, I think we had an early chance from a set piece. Um, Ings got in behind on a kind of just a long ball and uh, didn't didn't really get didn't anything with it. But I think we, we were looking like we could play with them, I think, for the most part in, in the formation that we had chosen and uh, how the matchup was looking. But uh, what was uh, what was your thoughts on on early in the match? Um, I, mean, I think the thing with Saints is that we always play better against top six sides than, than, than the bottom. It always comes up. And, and I think, yeah, despite the fact that we, we weren't behind, we, we always looked like we were in the game. The problem is you always hope that we make something of the time we get on the ball. Obviously, that early in chart didn't, didn't come to anything. And, and you just you hope for, for, for the time we do, we do get, sometimes the lack of clinical finishing could be an issue. But I think at that point, we the game was still relatively early. And... And I think um, even once Sora had the first yellow card, um, at that point we know they're causing them problems and, and we know that we're getting in behind them and there's a good chance we'll, we'll, we could get some out of the game. Yeah, and I would, I would kind of say like the first 10 minutes or so, I think we, we were probably even or on top a little bit. As you approach the 20-minute mark, they start to build a little bit more pressure. But um, there was one particular run of play that I was really kind of impressed with and I think it kind of came through the middle it was like a one-time flick from Buffal. Um, and I don't know if you you guys were kind of watching this, but that was one of those instances where like if this if this results in a goal or just a, 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 a even if it produces a world-class save from Larice that we get a corner from it, if we can get something out of it, some sort of momentum, that's one of those things that that it, that it was. But it was like it was a flick from Buffal. Uh, Redmond got at the ball, who eventually got it to, to Hoiberg, who forced a save from Larice kind of down, I think low into his right. Um, I don't know if that was coming towards you in the first half or going away from you, but uh, what you, what, I guess, just do you do you recall that that run of play from from Saints? Yeah, yeah. So um, it was going away from us. We were uh, fairly far away from that move, but they've got it's a it's a great view from the away end. There's loads of screens, and and you wouldn't miss something if you were at the wrong end of, of the new Tottenham ground. And and yeah, that that move was lovely. It's that that classic bit of Buffal skill that we all know he's got on his locker, and um, when he gets out and it and it works well, and um, we're all praising him for it and and yeah i did think that was a great early sign that we would do something um and we would essentially get some out of this game yeah um i kind of was really impressed with buffal early on um he held off a couple of guys he was smart other than he chose to shoot from i think some distance at one point where he had a couple of passes that were maybe on but um I, i think one of those guys that has definitely benefited from the time away and the chance to reset himself into ralph and come back and and he looks just a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, a little bit more willing to, to track back. And um, there were instances yesterday, even late in the game, where he, you know, was two on one, kind of isolated on the right wing, and still was winning the ball back and and keeping possession when we needed it, and trying to get the ball in the box, create something. So I was was really happy with him. But um, Spurs eventually kind of create a chance down the left. Uh, Son is is running at Benderak, and Benderak's doing well to kind of hold him up and frustrate him, but. Um, I think he found uh, Dembele uh, kind of in the middle, in, in the just kind of free in the six yard area, and he can't sort his feet out, gets shoots it over the bar. A, a huge warning, I think, to, from us. 
and then uh, almost the exact same kind of play where he uh, that puts him ahead. Um, so in Dumbele again, found by Son, I think, uh, in the box and and a little bit of, a little bit of a deflection off of Bednarak. Gun maybe can do better, uh, but at that point, then Spurs are, are up, and it's kind of you spoke earlier of us having the possession and not necessarily being able to capitalize on it. And I think that's one of those instances where we start pretty strong. Um, Spurs are no slouch, but we're in, we're in the game definitely, uh, but we're not able to capitalize on maybe the advantage that we have. And then before you know it, we're kind of behind and now it's, it's a game of kind of playing, I guess, catch up, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That, exactly. I mean, the Spurs showed their quality a couple of times and then I must admit, I think we were a little bit annoyed at the goal that we conceded. If you don't mind scoring a goal that's been well worked and, and great players have become a part of it. But I think the strike and the potential save that Gunn should have pulled off sort of frustrated a, a fair few of the away fans. And, and given that, we, you know, we weren't completely out of the game at that point. Um, I do think um, some questions were asked at Gunn at that point. Um, but he has, you know, every goalkeeper has their moment, you know, sort of Sheffield United moment for their goalkeeper yesterday where he, um, on Saturday, where he didn't um, make great the, the one goal that happened in his game. And I can't say it was anywhere near as bad as that. So, um, you know, we, we were a bit disappointed to, to be behind at that point. Um, but, but you know, 24 minutes in with, a, with you know, a good side on the pitch, still hoping for, for something out of the match. Yeah, and, and obviously frustrating, but, you know, we're, we're definitely not out of it and we've played well up until that point and you just hope for a response. And just kind of looking at and, and what, what, how the team was set up in, in that point, like, uh, you get the, uh, the the first yellow card there uh, just after that for um, Serge Aurier uh, gets a yellow card. And I think that one was definitely deserved. Uh, the second one may be a bit soft, but I will still take it um, because without, you know, you know, 10 minutes after the goal, we're a man up for basically 60 minutes. And we had gone from having just, just over a third of possession uh, during the time when it was uh, 11 v 11 to, uh, basically flipping that and having almost 70% possession for the rest of the time. And obviously our, our goal came after that. It wasn't a well-worked anything. It was just uh, Danny Ings putting pressure on somebody and Larice making you talk about a huge error for a, for a goalkeeper, um, you know, him making a, just a terrible mistake and us getting it over the line. And, and at that point with the, the game tied and us kind of having played well against 11, given up a goal that we'd be frustrated with, but then also, now having the game gotten the game back level, you had to think at least for for, for a couple of minutes because that's all it lasted that that we were really had a decent chance to take something from the match. Oh, for sure, that that was definitely the point of view from from the away end. When when you've got that extra man and then we we level it and it seems like a clean slate, almost like we can forget about that earlier. And go and start again. You've always got to look to capitalize. I mean, there's a lot of it to be said about teams that go um, down a player and whether they come out and they play better sometimes without. That on the pitch, but from the Saints' point of view, you know that was a great moment. You know, Ings is well tracking back, and and he did it against Liverpool um, with the Adrian mistake, and again Larice mistake, and that's what the press is all about, and that's why we like the Hassan Hutel style of football, and we looked like we were back in this game playing well, and um, yeah, although it didn't last long, there was certainly optimism <laughs> with myself, and I think most of the away fans at that point. Yeah, and I mean, we did also have uh, maybe a fair bit of, of luck. The the Spurs were claiming the ball was out of play for the red card, the second yellow card. They were claiming the ball was out there, but uh, obviously it wasn't called. You got to play to the whistle. 
and you know, I, I don't care. You can't, if, if you're running behind the fullback, he's goal side of you and you decide just to trip him up or pull him back. Like you're asking to be booked again. And so I saw something about, about bookings and, and fouls and that we wound up with a lot more fouls and fewer bookings than Tottenham did, had. And, and I think that goes down to some of the stuff that we've, we've seen Saints do recently, which is where if we lose the ball high up the pitch, we're going to commit those kind of tactical fouls and, and make sure that they don't basically get to, to come down the other end and punish us when we lose the ball when we're pressing because it gives us a chance to get back in possession. Whereas some of their fouls, I think, were more, as we were going forward, um, it meant that we were hitting them on the counterattack and then they were picking up the fouls because they were we were kind of running away from them at that point. And I think that's a totally different... Uh, if you foul people in your own area, in your own defensive, uh, sorry, in your own offensive third, you tend not to be booked unless it's completely egregious. And um, whereas if, if if guys are making moves or running by defenders, then it, the referees, I think, always more likely to to to, to bring the bookings on. But um, were people, uh, were, I mean, what were the Tottenham fans doing at this point? I know that stadium is massive and uh, everything else, but were they were they? Could you sense any kind of trepidation from them, or were they kind of uh, feeling pretty confident in their team being up two one, even though they were down a man? Um, they, they were not happy. <laughs> um, it's, there's the worst sound I've heard from a, a team when they went in at half time, um, from a winning team. They, they, they did not agree with the decision. Um, they, the referee was then their, um, point of call for any noise making for the rest of the match. They almost failed to cheer their own team in wanting to have a go at the referee, which is quite disappointing for a, a brand new sound made for, for a great acoustics. I must admit, when the Saints were singing at, at certain points, we could, we could hear ourselves stand alone and it sounded great. Um, and I, I completely see your point with that second yellow card. If that second yellow card that happens is, is in the other third rather than defending, if it was, say, one of our attackers just grabbing onto someone, you, you see the... The argument of where the foul happens, maybe that's what result you get for it. And obviously, referees need to be consistent. Um, and 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 that way, you can maybe see them being aggrieved. But the first yellow card in its own was was an awful, an awful challenge. And and you could potentially see another day a, a harsh referee potentially given a you know a worse decision a red for that. So, always got got to do better the way he is and not putting back the player. And um, although it's not a great camera angle, there was definitely contact. And I think the contact leading into goal is enough for a, a second yellow. And, and yeah, the Tottenham fans were just were not happy for the whole game with that referee after that one decision. Yeah, so, so we picked up, uh, in, over the course of the match, 18 fouls. Um, is what we, and they had five. And that, that resulted in one of their players being sent off. But I think it's, um, if you look, I mean, I'm looking at the map, the, the plot map now, like a lot of them are, are, in, are in places where kind of the ball is either stationary um, or they're us kind of breaking down a counterattack. There aren't very many kind of in our own, in our, in our kind of defensive, our last defensive third, they're all kind of on that line and forward. So, uh, and, and I think the situation of course, like I think dictates a little bit of that, but um, I think we have to talk about some of the frustrations that, that result, because as I said earlier, from the, from the point of the red card on, we have almost 70% of the ball. And people are asking questions as to to why we can't break teams down, um, and and I I could offer defense for for that, and maybe I, I will a, a little bit later. But I mean, for you, I mean, watching our team go forward and kind of dominate possession, and even though we're behind, I mean, I was really hoping we were able to break them down, but there there looked to be 
maybe just the lack of, of just the clinical kind of final ball. Like we don't have Kevin De Bruyne to to kind of pick passes out and things like that. But I mean, were were you at all, I guess, optimistic in in or were you guys because they're shooting towards you now in the second half? You have to imagine that you're just looking for hoping for one of those chances to be tapped in or bundled in or or banged in, however it goes in. But uh, kind of what was your what were your thoughts like throughout the second half in terms of just hoping we can actually get it over the line. So I think um, when the when the guys came out for the start of the second half, um, we were optimistic, uh, um, well and truly, because of that red card. You come out and you've got one extra man. You hope that you can make that count stretched. And we play, although many fans don't like it, we play side to side so much, and it creates space and space in places. And the fact that they have one one less man, we were hoping that that was gonna gonna come good for us. And I think it was truly just as the half progressed and progressed and we kept getting these chances and Lloris pulled out some amazing saves and it just felt like the, you know, those chances were never going to be taken at, at that point. I mean, if you told someone at half time there's not going to be another goal in the game, I think you'd be very surprised. And and I think with that red card, we were hoping we'd, we'd, we'd make the most of it. But yeah, as that half went on, the, it sort of, we, slowly, we slowly sort of came to realise that we weren't going to get anything, anything else in that game. Yeah, I think, I mean, you... As you said, we we did play side to side quite a bit, but we had midfielders kind of making runs. Uh, we had shifted the formation a little bit um, at halftime, and you know I I thought we had plenty of players making movements. We just couldn't find the the final touch, and we had uh, you know the great save from Larice uh, from the Ward Prowse free kick from the that Mayashita header. Uh, both times that you think, I mean, I think Yoshida gets up there and thinks this is going in, and it just you know, Larice made a, a brilliant save. And I think maybe a little bit of credit to him for making that, that kind of costly error at the beginning and then kind of bailing himself out or at least putting it out of his mind. Um, but he's no stranger to making a massive mistake in a big game and then uh, having to actually play after that. So, um, you know, he, he, he's managed to do that. But um, I mean, I was really impressed, especially early on in the second half where Spurs just could not get it clear. They had everybody back and we were just piling on pressure. And I think the that's where the intensity that Hassan Hoodle, I think, I think that was one of the biggest changes is we we were winning the ball back. We were fighting to get the ball back and not allow them to clear and not allow them to be out. And you guys, you had, you had Vestergaard at one point kind of stepping forward and, and kind of drawing a foul. Uh, you had guys kind of moving into to areas and it was it was definitely disappointing not to be able to just to have that player or to have that that vision to uh you know find space between the lines but i think also tottenham did a really good job of staying compact and you would have thought they went in at halftime and definitely tightened up whatever kind of defensive shape they were going to have and i mean and that i think that's what happens is those guys they have to be resolute if they're going to make the champions league places obviously um, so they're not they're 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 not going to just sit there and allow us to to pick them apart. They're not going to be pulled out like maybe a newly promoted team or or um, you know a lower league team in a, in a cup competition. They they just weren't going to fall for that stuff. So I think they did they did pretty well to to do that. But um, I, I I think it's safe to say we were somewhat disappointed with the you know the lack of, of I guess cutting edge that we had. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the case. I mean, the possession and all the stats show um, quite often. At the same time, you come away from the game looking at the stats, apart from the one that counts, saying we had such a good game. We played such a, a great style of football. The intensity was great. Getting forward, having that extra man did help us. But, but yeah, it's just that clinical extra edge in that, in that final third, that one pass. I mean, a couple of times there were a couple of crosses that went in, and I think Danny very nearly got on the end of, of one of them. It came very close. Obviously, the Prousey free kick that 
I think it was against Tottenham last year that he scored one at St Mary's after the, it was the manual way than Tottenham at home where he scored it. So hoping that would come about again. Um, I mean, 14 shots and six on target. I mean, a goalkeeper does well to keep six shots on target out on a, in, in any game. So plaudits do have to go to the especially, as you said, coming back from that earlier mistake to to um, to, to do as well as he did. Those two saves and the ones from Prousey and, and Yoshida really stick out and and I thought once those two don't go in, you get as far as you know what will go in. You know that that became the feeling in in the second half, um, of feeling that nothing was quite going to go right, despite the amount of ball we had, despite the amount of chances we had. Um, they just they just they held strong, and, and and I do feel though we do come away disappointed that we didn't get anything out of that game. I think a point would have been just as us. Sure. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of just in my head thinking about some of the goals we scored this season and. Some of them have been really nice. Uh, you think of, of Janapo. Uh, you think of even some of the goals during the uh, the the match on on, on Tuesday. Um, but then you also think there could easily be the alternative goals of the season where it's just us bundling them in from from closing down the goalkeeper. Um, you know, Danny Ings on there three or four times for just just barely getting it over the line. And you you start to think about the fact that we you think about the goal, the second goal that Tottenham scored, where they carved us open, and it was kind of one two touch stuff and that was beautiful to watch uh, it just sucks that it happened against us um but you start thinking about the the moves that we had that that gave us those opportunities but our, our inability to finish those chances and you start to worry a little bit i think about is, is this still a theme that we've had over the kind of the last couple of seasons where we don't have the ability to finish those chances or really create those really clear-cut opportunities where all of a sudden you have a just a back post happen because you've done all the work on the front side um, and, and I don't know if it's just because we just don't have the players or they're not skilled enough or they haven't been taught or they, or the system doesn't work, but uh, it's hard to, for me to really be critical of that because I, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a top level coach. I don't know how to, how to say what guys should be doing, where they should be going. You look at the space between the Tottenham back line for the most part yesterday uh, and the, it was just non-existent. The the lines were compact, and they were moving in in, uni, in unison. And you look at you think of of Jan Vertonghen, you think of uh, Toby Alderweireld, and you think of some of these guys they have on the pitch. That those guys are 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 top level performers. They're international center backs. They they are a partnership both internationally and at club level. And and on their day, I don't think I don't I, I think it's tough to find a better partnership there. You know. Yeah, I think that that comparison between the goals we scored so far this season and where we have them is quite interesting in terms of the goal we scored yesterday, closing down the keeper. We did that against Liverpool as well. The goal of midweek, and most of them were sort of big breaky goals, apart from maybe Ings' first one. I mean, I'm thinking of Redmond's last goal, to be, to be honest. The big break forwards, um, but getting the ball, moving it forward quickly, which is how Tottenham's second goal went. I think we're, we're good at, at the goals where we don't have possession. Having possession around the defence, especially like Tottenham, as you say, that's so well experienced. I mean, they go off every couple of months and play for all of their countries regularly and they start trying to break a team down when we've got lots of possession. I think we just can't quite, we struggle to do, we can't quite do it. Whereas breaking forward and, and pressing well and, and quick breaks, I think I think we're much, much more clinical. I think because they had that man down, they went defensive, they held strong, they they, they didn't leave any space for us. They, they all came back, even Kane was getting back and defending. And, and, and there's a team with possession who's trying to get through teams that, that are happy to, to do that. I think that's why we struggle. And normally we play better against the top six because they come at us. But 
I think because they had the red card, we didn't come out as much as they could have in the second half. And I can only really think of the Harry Kane chance where he sort of sliced the straight across the goal mouth and I think the Tottenham fans thought it was gone in but they didn't really get forward much in that second half and the, the stats show it and I just think we do struggle to break down teams if we've mainly got possession in the game and they're happy to sit back. I, I mean I think any team in the Premier League would be frustrated with not being able to score against 10 men uh, in the second half like that when we had that much possession but I also think that almost every manager would come out and maybe it's just saving face and say like you know, it's tough to break teams down. And, and, and so I've seen, you know, I've had, you know, been in fantasy football situations where all of a sudden you, the, your players are up against 10 men and you think, Oh, this is it, you know, and then nothing happens. They don't score. It, it happens. I, I would, I would assume, uh, you know, more often than we would like, but it, it's, there's no way not to be frustrated with it, I think. And, and I think that's totally fair for us to be kind of questioning, but also I, I'm not sure it's, we should be, you know, so paranoid or worried about it that we people either ironically or not start to suggest that Ralph needs to pack his bags. Cause there was some of that stuff over the, you know, I think somebody said, if we lose the midweek match, you know, pack your bags, Ralph. And it's like, well, if we would have, if we would have put out like five center backs and, you know, Jack Stevens at defensive midfield or something like that, like, yeah. And we lose like, yeah, get out, get out. Cause that's terrible. <laughs> but like really in reality, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that bad, but um, I don't no, know. I mean, I any, any kind of final thoughts? I mean, now seven games in, uh, it's not the end of the world. I think 10 games is probably a, a little bit better of a measuring stick, but seven points to seven games. Um, are you, are you worried? Are you, are you comfortable with the development you see in some of the individuals maybe, or are you starting to question maybe Ralph's tactics a little bit? I mean, the intensity and the way he's making us, getting us to play, I think is, is a Southampton fans dream. Sort of the pressing, the, the big attacking, you've got the fast players on the wing, you've got players like Redmond and Janapo and Buffal. The way we're playing, I think, is is great. And I think not a lot of Saints fans can complain about that. I must admit, the one thing I've been surprised at this season, given how well he did last season, is Hassan Hüttel's decision-making. I think, so yesterday, we were in the stadium calling for him to make changes. And he, he brought three subs on. He brings on Armstrong for Vestergaard, not until the 79th minute, which I think at that point is too late. Um, the, the first um, Pochettino sub was made was in the 64th minute. And then Obafemi and Long come on, who have got great amount of pace. I mean, they're great attacking players. But they come on in the 83rd and 88th minute. And, and, and I think this season we're all a little bit dumbfounded in some of the decisions that Hassan Newell has made, um, which is not me calling for his head to be to, to go whatsoever. I think he's the best thing that's happened to our club in, in, a, in a very long number of years. I mean, I was at Newcastle away under Pellegrino. It's the first time I've gone to Newcastle, five-hour journey. We were 3-0 down. Uh, 30 minutes gone so I, I would never be one to, to call for a manager to, to go after this form of results and seven points in seven games isn't isn't a bad feat in the Premier League but I must admit I, I, I do stop myself and question Hassan Hootel's come to some of the starting lineups with the whole Bertrand incident mm-hmm. and his substitutions especially yesterday because I think if Long and Obafemi had come on earlier we would have had a, a better chance at breaking them down with a little bit more pace and just that fresh freshness that, that those you know eager attacking players want to that want to give and they show you show you I mean Oberfemi showed it against Pompey and I'm, I'm a big advocate for, for him one of the stars out of the academy and yeah I'm not worried but I, I am I'm hoping that we see a couple of better tactical decisions going forward yeah I think the the problem that we had yesterday was if you look at the bench um and I think I I think we were talking about it in the discord channel before 
it, you can kind of see who's coming on depending on the situation. And, and, you know, obviously he's not bringing on Danzo or Valerie. And if Lewis comes on, then, uh, you know, yeah, everybody can, can be in an uproar because there's no reason to bring the goalkeeper on at that point. But there, those were not, Armstrong is probably the most creative of the three that, that are there. And, and to have Long and Obafemi on going into the game, you would think, yeah, you're probably going to be under pressure um, to have a little bit of an outlet, to have some pace there, to, to run at Vertonghen and, and Alderweireld maybe as they're, as they're tiring late in the game. Um, th- that's great. But th- we don't have the players on the bench to come in and kind of unlock. There was nobody out there to say, you know, uh, stand in the middle or, or, you know, spin a defender or whatever and, 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 and have a shot there. The, the, there was, those players weren't there. And so I think to, to, I think we actually lost creativity with some of those substitutions given uh, not, not the Armstrong for Vestigard, but uh, some of the other substitutions, I think you, you lose some creativity and you gain some raw pace, but, but I think you maybe lack the maturity to, to finish chances with, because long is just not, you know, generally he's not, on target all that often, um, even though he does a lot of things. And Obafemi, I think, is is kind of in between there. He's he's got a lot of pace, but I'm not. I wouldn't consider him a natural goal scorer yet either. Um, so, I think, given what he had on the bench, that it was going to be that. But I, I'm not sure that the substitutions actually, you know, helped us at all in in that sense. Yeah, I think the way the game played out in the end with Tottenham trying to keep the result the way it was going. I don't. I. Don't think they just they got a chance to shine personally. I know I do agree that you know the the, the starting lineup um, was was good and and the substitutions that are made do completely change the way we play. Um, Booth Alpha Long isn't a straight swap. Obafemi Frings isn't a straight swap. But we were playing good football, so yeah, it completely changes the the creativity and and the abilities on the pitch. But yeah, I just felt that if you're chasing the game and you've got attacking players on the bench and someone that's as young and as fresh as Obafemi who wants to make a difference and given Ings. Um, sort of injury status, potentially bringing them on earlier or, or just moving the squad around a bit where you, you bring subs on earlier to make a difference. Um, it could have been something that, that could have changed yesterday. Yeah, and I know there was some some people wondering why Abs wasn't there, but I mean, if you give the guy a rest after playing almost every minute of every game, uh, you know, or starting every game so far, I think taking him out of the firing line a little bit and just saying, hey man, you know, just relax and you know, regroup and we'll see it. We'll see it, you know, at, at, at practice or at training uh, that that's fine. Uh, although you didn't then look at, you know, could we bring, have brought him on late and could that have made a difference? But um, mm. you know, it's a, it's a lot, you can, what if I think to death and second guess, and that's, I, I guess it's what we're doing, but at the same time, I'm not, you know, I, everybody makes mistakes. House and Hoodle's not perfect. I think we've, uh, the honeymoon period is over, but um, still pretty happy with him as a, as a manager, you know, I can't be, uh, I can't be, I can't be upset with, with the general overall kind of, uh, I guess how the, how the club is, the direction of the club is going, I think, I think it's fine, but, um, I think we should move on. Uh, yeah, unless you want to add something there. Oh, you know, I did. I was completely agree in terms of, you know, we were playing great football and, and it was a great game to watch even from a Saints point of view, not coming away with the result. Um, so, you know, to keep this style of football going forward would be, would be, um, would be, yeah, would be very good. Yeah. I mean, I, was definitely disappointed yesterday at the end of the game, but sometimes saints play early in the morning here and I spend the rest of my day just in a, in a terrible mood and everybody knows. And, you know, even my wife yesterday kind of goes like, did you guys lose? I said, yeah, yeah, yes, we did. Uh, she goes, Oh, okay. And like, I, I, my mood was not giving that off, I guess. And, and it was a little bit disappointed, but at the same time, like I enjoyed watching the match. The match was entertaining and it was kind of just, you know, 
we we just lacked a little bit, and I think I guess that's just that's just fine. But I say uh, we move on towards the the question portion of the of of the show, and uh, you are a patron, and one of the things that patrons get is a uh, a priority for having their questions answered each and every week. Um, in addition to that, you uh, people send them in on the private Discord chat that we have, and then uh, some some patrons get the extra podcast episode per month. Although this week um, everybody got one extra, some people got two extra, and I think that is part of the reason I am somewhat tired because it's been a busy week and I hadn't even really realized it. Um, but here we are. So, uh, we'll start with Rob, um, who kind of jokingly asked if everyone other than our fullbacks were injured. So we only have fullbacks available. Um, who would Ralph stretcher out to play at left back given that we refuse seemingly to, to line up with an actual, um, with actual fullbacks. It seems to be a thing that, that we are avoiding. Um, and, and Kevin, uh, McGee asks a similar question. He says, "With Soares gets injured pre-match, or is it unavailable as it as it turns out pre-match? Um, why wouldn't Valerie take his place? We've kind of talked about that, but um, I mean, do you care to offer uh, an answer for Rob? Is who would you, uh, if everybody's injured except for the fullbacks, who would you bring on to play at uh, at left back and just kind of set him out there in a wheelchair or on a stretcher?" So I think you know I, I, I want to use the squad, and and there's players that play on Tuesday night that hadn't had a chance in a while. So um, one of those players, Alex McCarthy, I think, who actually think, is think, injured, and it, that would work. Stretch him <laughs> out there. It would be uh, as long as he doesn't have any Hugo Lloris moments, it would be fine. Um, I think I, I would beforehand jokingly say uh, you know maybe Buffal or Janapo, but Janapo we saw what he did, and I fully expected Buffal to come in and replace him at left wing back uh, soon, but that obviously hasn't happened. But um, we, we talked a little bit uh, about, um, you know, Valerie's kind of absence from uh, the starting lineup and doesn't get in the game yesterday, even when Cedric kind of pulls out last minute. Um, and you have to kind of wonder now, was Cedric doing that at right back? Like what, what does that do to Ralph's confidence in him? Because Cedric was playing so well, you know, um, this season. I think he was great uh, on Tuesday. I think he's been great. Uh, or, or at least really decent over over the past couple of weeks, and another guy who's earned his kind of spot back in the team after kind of being on the outside for a while. But I mean, now with this, you you wonder if, if Valerie will get another chance, uh, or you wonder what's going on with Valerie. I know Valerie is hanging out with Mario Lamino over the summer uh, a little bit. There were some some Instagram stories where they were in the same place, so who knows if that's tainted him a little bit. But uh, I don't know. I mean, do, are we? Do you have anything else to to kind of add to the? the Valerie maybe coming in instead of, instead of Cedric or, or do you think we've kind of covered that a little bit? I mean, I think we were all a little bit surprised to see how much Cedric was playing this season after what happened last season. Valerie came in kind of out of nowhere when he did and, and played and had an amazing last season. The memories of like Manchester United away, obviously is the big one for, for, for him and for most people. And, and for, for all intents and purposes was doing a good job and, Cedric's come in and, and he's been doing an, an equally as good job and it's great to have that conversation with Faith. I think every team you really want to have two people for each position if you can because then you've got a battle for who's going to start and, and having a, a selection dilemma in terms of great players is always better than having a selection who's going to score our, our goals. Um, so um, so I, I think if, if there is a problem with Cedric and he's not going to play, I mean, Valerie's got to come in and, and give it a go even if he's a little bit weak defensively. I think he proves that he's he's young and he needs a chance. And I think Hasenhutl loves young players that he can mould and grow. And I think we can all see Valerie staying with us for a good couple of years, becoming a great player, then going to Liverpool. So I honestly think that he'll get back in the side. 
at some point soon. Whether it comes in a cup game, we've got the City twice in four days, or a league game where Cedric says again, sorry, I can't play because he's got something else on. I don't know what, what, what none of us know what happened there. Um, yeah, I, I hope that Valerie gets gets back in at some point. No, I mean, at time of recording, there has been no information, I don't think, released, as you said, I can, I can find. Uh, there was an article in the Southern Daily Echo that just where Rappenhoodle says, I don't know why he couldn't play. Uh, he just came to me. It was, you know, it wasn't even during training. It was like kind of as we were getting off the bus that I, I'm out. And that is, I mean, beyond disappointing if you're, if you're a manager who's prepared a certain way, but maybe he's sick, maybe he's ill, maybe he's hurt, maybe he, you know, and, and maybe that was the best thing for the team is then instead of him going out there and being, uh, and, and maybe it's been some sort of other issue. I mean, we don't know. So I don't want to judge him too harshly, but you have to think if there's, there proves to be no reason uh, you would you would assume that this would be one of those things that Hassan would look at and say that's not acceptable because that does hurt the team um, in, in one way or another. So um, let's see, we got that. Um, if we jump to Instagram here. Uh, Aiden Osman ninety six says, "Do you think that Ralph has lost confidence in some players given some of his choices?" And uh, you would think of of some of the players, I guess. That a lot of the questions revolve around selection and things like that. But um, I mean. You look at you look at some of the players that are out, like Valerie, and you think the the confidence maybe there is gone. Um, but I think if you look at the rest of the of, of the team, uh, I don't see necessarily the Adams uh, exclusion yesterday as being a, a loss of confidence. Um, you look at guys like Jack Stevens who didn't make it in the squad, um, but he's coming been on the outs since since day one. Um, not not putting Danzo in yesterday, I don't I, I think was was okay given the kind of the match that he had not, you know, his most recent match was not great. Um, obviously being played out of position, being having played now everywhere across the back line. Um, but I mean, do you, are are you worried about, about his uh, Ralph trusting the squad at this point? Or do you think that it's just kind of part of the growing pains and trying, trying to find the best way to meld kind of Ralph's, uh, you know, pressing and the, the formation he would ideally like to play and the players we have and, and how well they fit into that system. Um, I, I can understand why questions are being asked about Ralph at this point in terms of a selection, because you look at our jokes earlier about about left back and you wonder why Virgin isn't being played. And everyone would love to be a fly on the wall and stay forward and, and to see and hear what's going on. Because uh, there are a couple of weird relationships going around at the start of this season, obviously. Bertrand not playing so, a certain number of matches. Valerie not getting back in the side where he was so formidable last season. Um but I don't think the rest of the squad's got many questions over. I think uh, if you look at the starting eleven yesterday, and you look at Ings, Redmond, and Buffal, and you play, you potentially look at putting in there with Janapo, but um, obviously he's out. So that I think most people will be happy with that. And then the centre of the park, Prousey, Hoiberg, and Romeo, I think everyone sees as a, as a dream, as a dream partnership. And I don't think Armstrong can get in a, on in on over those people. I think um, he's not quite got enough to get in. Um, past those so yeah I can see some questions being raised about Valerie and Bertrand but for as far as the rest of the squad I think I think he's um, doing a good job we do have a question about Vestergaard uh, potentially being dropped for Danzo I mean would you consider that that left center back spot would you be willing to see Vestergaard kind of be moved out and it kind of goes another with with Rob from from Twitter at RJC SFC uh, says uh, how would you set up the defense considering the manager doesn't seem to know um mm-hmm. I mean, would you would you consider that that swap being something you would you would look for, or is Vestergaard kind of just uh, taking the brunt of the the criticism for uh, reasons that are are not, are out of his control? 
Um, I think the defence is the biggest question on the pitch right now, and, and the fact that, that Rob said that Hassan Hill doesn't know how to answer the question doesn't mean I don't think I'll give a better answer. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's nice to see a player coming in under a manager's guidance, and Danso is a player that Hassan Hill obviously wants it, got ties with him, and wants to bring him in. He's been given the other centre backs, and obviously sees Bednarak as his best other centre back, which I think everyone else would agree with. But I honestly, I'm not sure. I mean, if you play four at the back, Bednarak and Danso, I don't know if they look strong enough at the moment together, but potentially bringing them in together if we get down so permanently, moving forward as, as, a, as a partnership that could grow could, could be something. But, I mean, Vestergaard's height is half the reason I think he's in the side sometimes. And um, and he can be good on his day, but then we see the mistakes like the one at Burnley the first day of the season. So I can't say I have a, I have a definite answer, but I think if, if Danso and Bednarak had some time together and, and we saw that as a two they could be okay together we could see a partnership going forward with them but I mean I think only time will tell to be honest of, of what we see in the starting lineup going forward yeah and it, if it came to the point where it was Venerak Yoshida and, and Danzo in a back three I mean I'd be okay with it I'd be Vestergaard obviously the, the pace is, 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 is the issue and I would have always expected him to play at the center of defense in terms of uh, of a back three, but he's he's been a constant on that left, and I haven't been too disappointed with him. I think last season when we had wing backs Valerie working down the right, um, he was able to hit that kind of long diagonal that would switch play and and cause uh, allow us to get forward kind of quickly and, and cause some teams problems. But um, that hasn't happened a whole lot this this season. But um, I mean, he's a competent footballer. Just the pace on the counter attack and down the channel, I think teams will attack that, especially if we wind up with a guy like Janapo or somebody else at, at left wing back or left back, that will be the area they target because we are susceptible there. So maybe Danzo uh, helps out a little bit, but also uh, Danzo has been picking up cards um, pretty quickly. I mean, we have people in the, in the, the yellow card uh, count that are going to likely beat Romeo this year, which would be difficult considering they won't be on the pitch nearly as often. Um, but anyway, uh, let's go one more. We have one about, about, creative players and, and keep us from finding the final killer ball. And, and I think we kind of talked about it. So thanks to, to Christian Candler uh, for sending that in. But um, Kevin McGee, another one of the patrons says, uh, are we likely to see anyone new coming out of the Academy? And if so, where and who? Uh, we had a lot of players kind of make emerge, I guess, last season. And I think we all kind of said, oh my goodness, look at this. And looking back on it, it's, it was maybe a message from Ralph that like, look guys, like you're not set in this lineup. If you have to fight with these Academy kids to get in here and I will take the best players that are available. And maybe he's concluded that the players he has in the premier league squad are actually the best players that he has. Um, but for you uh, looking at the Academy, um, anybody, anybody you think could come in and, and potentially um, raise some eyebrows and maybe make a statement this season. And, and if not, I guess that's, that's all right too. So I think there's a little hierarchy in terms of who's going to play for us this season. I think there's a, there's a set number of players who are already involved in the first team squad that have come up in through the academy that, that want their chances. And they're probably ahead of any players that are currently in the under-23s or the under-18 under squad. So, I mean, you look at Obafemi playing on, against Pompey. I mean, he, he played a couple of times starting matches last season. I went to the Huddersfield game and that was a big standout for him. And I'd love to see more of him, but when you've got um, Ings and you've got Adams and you've got Long and then you've got Obafemi who isn't as proven um, it's it's going to be tough to see when or if they're going to come in maybe he'll play Obafemi in the cup games but if we go out against City we'll have less cup games to play and only league games 
And I think um, although he wants to use the young players, someone like Janopo is going to get um, going to get in ahead of someone like Sims, who I thought had a great end to the season. I think he, he played a couple of started a couple of games and got an assist before he went off injured in one home game. And I thought he may be given a, a chance this season, but obviously he's gone out on loan, comes back in January, I think. And, and even when he comes back, trying to get in in front of Janopo and Buffal, it's going to be tough. So, yeah, I'd love to see Sims. I'd love to see Obafemi. Um, Vokins has played. Um, Slattery, Ramsey. I mean, there are names there. But currently, I don't think, unless we have uh, a big cup spell, they're, they're going to get a, a great chance. I think Oberfemi is probably the best shot we've got of a young player getting into the getting onto the pitch. Yeah, and and you would you would imagine he would play in that match against City in the Carabao Cup, and and you imagine you kind of think about what he would have to do to get his way into the uh, into the first team in terms of uh, a, a starting spot. And and you look at our, our attacking options. I think this is the best kind of attacking lineup we've had in several seasons. Uh, both with a manager that's willing to utilize them, and a uh, you know just just the players that can go and do it, and and Redmond um, is has been enjoyable to watch over the past couple of seasons, and he seems to be, I, I would say, slightly angrier this season. I think last year he was just kind of keeping to himself and enjoying things. This year he is he is uh, demanding a lot of his teammates, and and I think that's uh, I think it's good. I think he we need people to step up and and do things and. He is, he is a, a willing runner and, uh, you know, he kind of has the, the pace, um, maybe uh, more of the strength than he's had in previous seasons, but also kind of the, the ball skills to, to get himself free and try to create things. He just, the shooting isn't quite there. Uh, we saw some shots go over the bar yesterday. Uh, I think Buffal has all the trickery in the world um, and, and also some strength and some kind of maybe a little bit more of a, the idea that he's got to he's got to put in the work defensively, and it's, I think he's been great there this year. But um, yeah, like you said, I think the the attacking options are going to be tough for people to get in. I think you'll likely it'll it'll probably be a left back or a right back that'll come in and do it because that seems to be where Ralph will will play anybody. So I fully expect to see uh, a slattery at left wing back, I guess, uh, soon. Luke, this has been uh, a fantastic kind of chat, and we've. Uh, what people will hear will probably be obviously less than what we've been talking about right now. Uh, but I mean, this has been an enjoyable kind of period of time for me just to get to know you a little bit. Uh, it's a pleasure to do this. I'm sorry to take up so much of your time on a, on a Sunday afternoon, but uh, I really do appreciate it. Oh no, thank you. It's been a great pleasure. It's almost needed time to, to reflect and talk about, about Saints and what you spent a whole day doing in London yesterday. Um, but it's good to, to, you know, to talk to other people, and, and and how Saints and um, affects them and and you know connect with lots of people around the world. So yeah, thank you very much. I know, my my pleasure. And um, I don't know. Hopefully, we fleshed out some ideas. I'm not sure if we if we kind of are able to nail anything down because it's it's difficult to to pin down kind of exactly what needs to happen um, when you're trying to break teams down when you're frustrated, but also you kind of feel like you played a good game, a good match, and you had things that went your way. Uh, in terms of maybe getting a man up, but then it just didn't quite work out uh, in the end. But I mean, it can be difficult to to kind of do all those things. So it's not, uh, I don't know. It, hopefully, hopefully we flush some things out and hopefully we, you know, people enjoy it and, and uh, hopefully we get to do this again. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. I'd love to, I'd love to come back and tell you some more. All right, man. We will talk to you next time. does it for this episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to my guest, Luke Millard. He's on Instagram at Millard505. Luke, thank you so much for coming on the show, for talking with me, for giving me so much of your time and uh, just allowing me to get to know you a little bit better. 
Um, also, now that you've seen how the sausage is made, hopefully you still enjoy the show. Uh, if you don't, that's my fault. And so uh, I apologize if that's the case. But uh, anyway, uh, look forward to chatting with you again soon. Um, thank you again. The show would be impossible without a couple of partners of the show. Matt Beeling, who you heard from last week, does the logo for the show. Sometimes he can be found on Instagram at We Are Southampton. Uh, those are the good edits, not the ones that I put out. Those are not good. Um, also, our partner page is the Southampton page. You can find them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You should go to them for all your Southampton FC news and needs to keep you up to date with everything going on at the club. If you're interested in getting in touch with this show on social media, you can do that. We are at SFCDELL underscore IVERY on both Twitter and Instagram. We are at Facebook.com forward slash SFC delivery. You can get links to all of those, plus the links to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, ACAST, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you listen to podcasts at SouthamptonDelivery.com. There you can also sign up for the newsletter, which comes out each and every Friday. Uh, And I would really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show on iTunes. Uh, That really helps other people learn about the show. It helps it get into the faces of new people who may be looking for a football podcast about Southampton, uh, because whether you know it or not, Saints fans actually live all over the world. Once again, Luke is a patron of the show, and as a result, he gets access to a private Discord channel, priority for having his questions answered on the show each and every week. And he also gets an extra podcast episode per month. So if you are interested in that, you can go to patreon.com forward slash SFC delivery. I would love to see you in there. And I appreciate your support. But really, I appreciate your support in just listening and sharing the show. So that means the world to me. Don't feel any pressure to go to Patreon. If you're enjoying it and you want to, that is there as an option because people like you have asked. All music for the show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games and the end of the show credits that's probably over by now is Aim is True by Pottington Bear. And that does it for this week's episode. I thank you so much once again for listening. We will be back next week after Chelsea. Uh, but until then, remember that together, we march on.